0: This is Bill
1: Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and we welcome back to the show for our crime and punishment segment, Attorney John Pucci, who is a partner, partner with Buckley Richardson, former head of the U.S. Attorney's Office for Western Massachusetts. John, we have been talking on the show and with you about Donald Trump's legal travails. There is now an actual trial going on regarding, Don. well, Not Donald Trump exactly, but Donald Trump's organization. It's a very significant uh, legal claim against his organization. It could have significant financial impact for Donald Trump. And there was a really interesting article, I thought, in yesterday's New York Times about this trial and how they, they, the uh, litigants, were ever able to pick a jury. So I'd like to talk to you about those topics. Let's start with what this trial is about, and then let's see how the judge impaneled a fair and impartial jury, people who not only claim that they have no pro- or anti-Trump bias that would influence their verdict, but that they could somehow sit and listen to the evidence and decide solely on the evidence and not based on any preconceptions, I would find that a fascinating process. Let's start with, what's the trial about?
2: Well, it's a very peculiar trial. It's very, very unusual. Um, it's a trial in state court in New York, uh, and it's a trial, it's a tax case. And the, the theory of the case is there's a guy named Weiselberg. Uh, who was the accountant CFO, Alan Weisselberg, CFO, top executive handling all the books for the Trump organization, for two Trump organizations, actually, in New York. And he is indicted. It's a criminal case. And he's indicted for engaging in a 15-year scheme to pay high-level executives in perks like luxury cars, and apartments without paying taxes on them. So essentially, the idea is that um, the company, the Trump Organization paid these high level executives uh, in in kind uh, in ways that should have been reported on their tax returns and that weren't reported. And they included luxury cars, Mercedes Benzes and fancy apartments in New York City. And Weisselberg, the CFO, was the primary recipient of these off-the-books payments that should have been reported by him as income. It went on for 15 years. Um, It's alleged that he cheated the, uh, uh, in taxes, he cheated, his cheating amounted to $1.6 million. Uh, They've selected a jury, and uh, he has actually, Weisselberg, oddly, has actually pled guilty already to doing this in a deal with the DA in Manhattan, Manhattan district attorney's office is prosecuting it. And in that deal, um, he the deal is he will not testify against the Trump family directly, uh, but he will only testify that it was a part and practice of the organization. Um, now, how it is they're gonna get through a trial without the district attorney's office asking him who knew what the company about these payments, I don't know if it's asked he presumably is going to say i was the only one that knew or, or or nobody in the trump family actually knew about this and whether or not that's credible um he is has pled guilty and the issue is whether the companies the two trump organization entities the companies will be found guilty as entities for tax evasion so the issue is not whether any of the trump donald or any of his family will be uh, uh, found guilty. It will be whether the Trump organization, uh, will, organizations will be found guilty vicariously for Weisselberg's misconduct.
1: So this trial, this civil tax trial, will determine whether or not Weisselberg, but only Weisselberg, got illegal perks, that is he's being paid essentially under the table. People are only making millions of dollars a year, so of course it's important to have a free apartment thrown in. I don't get it, but that's what this is ultimately about, a pretty small amount of change versus the hundreds of millions of dollars that is flowing through this organization in loans and rents and uh, promotion fees. Is that right? Well,
2: well, not quite. Okay. Um, this this case will not clear the docket uh, of those issues for the Trump, for Donald Trump and his family, because you'll recall that there's a state. This case is brought by the Manhattan DA's office. There's a civil case brought by the New York Attorney General, which against Trump and all his family, the prominent family members for fraud. Civil case, that case is in the docket and that case will come forward in, in due course. Uh, and one might remember that the same uh, District Attorney Bragg um, had a criminal case mirroring those charges, those f- criminal fraud charges against Donald Trump and his family, and he declined to prosecute it. Uh, and the lead prosecutors in that case resigned in protest, saying that there was. There were massive fraud. The Trump family individually were responsible for that, and the case should have been prosecuted. Very controversial decision. So there's a civil case against Weisselberg. He pled guilty. He's going to face sentencing, a modest sentence. And there's this civil case that's the criminal case now going on against the Trump organization uh, with the Manhattan DA's office, and there's a civil case by the, attorney, the uh, attorney general as to the, the idea that he inflated uh, his tax returns and deflated his uh, certain figures to, to defraud insurance companies and the state of tax revenues on the corporation side. It's a little complicated.
1: Okay, well, let's, let's uncomplicate it just a bit. Did you just say that this case against the Trump organization is a criminal case? Yes, it is. I think most people would find that both uh, uh, interesting and a little bit perplexing. How do you bring a criminal case against an organization? Uh, You can't put the corporation in jail. So how does that work?
2: Well, the company can be sanctioned financially. Uh, It can be fined. There can be restitution ordered. Uh, it, it's, it's unusual, actually, um, and, but this is an unusual case. I can't explain it any other way. The idea that Weisselberg is going to testify that nobody in the Trump family actually knew about it is unusual, particularly when you consider that portions of the evidence will be Donald Trump's personal ledger and the checks he signed from his personal account to pay the school tuition for Rice, Weisselberg's grandchildren for years. So how it is that Donald Trump is not implicated directly and personally uh, in the fraud that was committed and is charged against the companies is a mystery to me. Uh, everything Bragg has done in the Trump cases is a mystery um, and perhaps a story for another day.
1: Well, let's go to, okay. Oh, right. let's just backtrack for one second. So There is a jury now. There is an ongoing trial against the Trump organization about the failure to essentially withhold and pay taxes on compensation that is paid Weisselberg. Is that it? In Correct. Okay. Correct. And that case is going on in state court in New York today. It started – the jury has been impaneled and it has started – with a lot of uh, back and forth between the lawyers and the judge, with the judge telling Trump's lawyers, stop instructing the jury on the law. That's my job. Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. So let's backtrack a bit more. There is a jury. How did the judge ever impanel a jury of presumably, oh, I don't know how many people are on this jury, but the jury was impaneled. The number of requisite number of jurors, all of whom were found to be uh, potentially fair and impartial and to not hold views that would affect their decision making process. How in life do you find those jurors? How did this judge find those jurors?
2: Well, it was a somewhat chaotic process um, in which there was some sort of strict time uh time limit placed on the jury selection process which doesn't make any sense to me when 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 the trump name is in play there's lots of people with lots of feelings on all sides you would think it would be you know expansive jury selection but the judge crimped it into a fairly narrow time frame a couple of days to pick a jury um and uh you know the question of the jury selection process is what's been going on for hundreds of years which is you Put people under oath and you ask them questions about their background. There can be a questionnaire. I don't know if a questionnaire was was used in this case. Typically, on a complex case, a questionnaire will go to the jury with a lot of personal information. Uh, The judge will ask questions uh, of the jurors. The 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 lawyers on both sides will be able to ask questions uh, either directly themselves to the jurors on a one by one juror basis or Uh, The judge will ask the questions as suggested by the lawyers. Uh, And at the end of the day, the lawyers, there's a group that is left over um, and uh, extracted from that group are people with personal connections to Trump or people that work for police departments typically that might be biased uh, against defendants or people that work for police departments that are biased for Trump. Uh, and declare themselves biased, and you're left with a pool of people who say they can set aside any feelings they have or any emotions they have or any uh, ideas they have about Trump and the Trump organization and 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 set it aside and make make a decision based exclusively on the evidence in the case. So people take that oath. In my experience, they take it seriously. The Trump issues are, of course, you know, profoundly different than a typical jury trial that happens in Hampshire or Hampden County because people don't come to those jury boxes with personal prejudices or biases against four parties um, that they know. And so uh, it's a very unusual uh, process in this setting. Um, I will say that each side gets peremptory challenges, and we can talk about that if you'd like that are limited in in number, but they can strike people without an explanation uh, if it's permitted by the judge, Um, but they can strike any juror they can find uh, who who is biased uh, against their case. So the prosecutors can probe about um, people that might be against the prosecution of uh, anything related to Trump and exclude them. The defense will want people that can say they may be pro-Trump or neutral uh, if that's possible, and they can um, try to keep them on the jury. So it's a jockeying back and forth, trying to find people that are on your side or not. Each side gets to knock out certain people, and who's ever left standing goes in the jury box and decides the case.
1: Well, I want to follow that up, and we need to take a break. So let me tell you what I'm going to ask you on the other side. It seems to me that a person who says, Listen, we all have internal processes, we all come to life and to decision making with certain preconceptions, um, and I understand that can be influenced, and I'll be very, very sensitive to how that might influence me, but can we put them aside? Well, I'm a human being, so I can't say that for absolutely 100% sure, but I do my best. That person will be excluded from the jury. Whereas the person who says, I love Donald Trump, or I hate Donald Trump, but I can be neutral. I can put it aside. I'm really good at that sort of thing. Someone who is less in tune with how their own preconceptions uh, will affect them, that person gets on the jury somehow. I want to follow that Maybe. up. We'll follow, Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we'll, not. We'll follow that up on the other side. We'll be right back.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP. You want the very best opportunities for your child. Given the amount of time children spend in school each day, you want your child to be inspired, to be engaged, to love going to school. At Bament, each student experiences this every day. The Bement School in Deerfield is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe, kindergarten through ninth grade, learning from each other in the classroom, rooting for each other on the athletic field, and celebrating each other on the stage. We are local, we are global, and our differences make us stronger. We interact face-to-face, share meals together every day, and open doors for one another. The true essence of your child's time at Bement is preparing for a life of integrity, of significance, of joy. Financial aid and transportation are available to help make a Bement school education possible. I'm Kim Laughlin, Director of Admission. Please contact me or visit our website. Bement will be the best investment you make in your child's future.
1: This is uh, from Rioja and this is the
3: tierra. That means earth. Thank, Thank you. you. I knew my language acquisition <laughs> would come in handy.
0: Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. When you
3: compare Spanish wines, Rioja especially, which is kind of like the Bordeaux of Spain, 90% of the time, stuff that you can get for $12, 15 $20 for Rioja is going to rival things that you're going to get for $30, $35 for Bordeaux. The Tierra is still under 20 at 18.99. I mean, give me a break. I know. Yeah. Nose a little dustier on this one. Yeah. And fruit. Almost like a caramel, actually. It's like cherry cola. Oh yeah, and this is a, is a Crianza? It is a Crianza. Which is a newer, like a fresher Rioja, right? That's true. Not yeah. quite Hoven. Crianza, it, it doesn't involve nearly as much of the barrel aging as a Reserva or Grand Reserva. I love this.
0: Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines & Spirits.
2: Skates cutting the ice and sticks pounding boards. The slap of the puck and a ping off the post. The chirp of the whistle and the blaring of the horn. Hockey is here. Tune in for all the sounds of the season right here on the UMass Sports Network. 101.5, 1400, and 1240, WHMP.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: We are speaking with attorney John Pucci. This is his segment with us, Crime and Punishment. And we are talking with John about the ongoing criminal trial against the Trump organization. So let's spend another minute on this question of who gets to decide who are the jurors and how can people really put aside their Feelings about Donald Trump and say, yes, I have no feelings in any way influence me pro or con. And the lawyers buy this. The judge buys this uh, and they end up in a jury box. Uh, It boggles my mind. So help me understand that, Mr. Bucci, please.
2: So it's ultimately uh, there are two people there. This is how the decisions are made. There's questions asked to the jurors. uh, They can be in writing. Uh, they lead to a second tier of examination in which individuals who give responses that beg explanation are called to sidebar typically, and they're, and they're asked more specific questions. Why did you answer this question that way? Why did you answer that question? And uh, lawyers get to interject either personally or through the judge and ask additional follow up questions. And when all the questioning is done, uh, one side may move to strike a juror for cause, potential juror for cause. They may say to the judge, this juror is biased against us. The other side may say that juror is not biased. That juror can clear their head. They can can set aside any biases or or preconceived uh, ideas about the outcome. Uh, And that argument takes place in front of the judge. The judge may ask the juror, can you set aside all of your biases or all of your beliefs about the Trump Organization, for example, and make a decision on the facts. Some, many jurors will say, I can't do that judge. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just set, dead set that he's getting screwed and shouldn't be prosecuted, or I'm dead set that he's guilty as sin and should be, uh, should be prosecuted and sent to jail. Though people on the perimeter, on, on the far ends of that spectrum, the judge strikes. I grant a motion for cause, I strike the juror, the juror cannot be on the panel, does not bring a clear head of biases and prejudices and cannot set them aside by their own admission they're out so those people are out now what's left are people that may be you're you know are vacillating in their views or have biases or prejudices or beliefs if you will new more neutrally stated beliefs that might interfere who say I can set them aside and they are in the alive jury pool the parties get what are called peremptory challenges they can say without explanation, generally without, generally without explanation, I want to strike this juror or that juror or this juror or that juror. And the number of peremptory challenges uh, are limited by law in the state and in the federal system. And each party might get six or eight or 10, depending on the nature of the case. And they exercise back and forth one by one until all the peremptory challenges are gone. That pool has now been further thinned out. It's only got people in it that have stated they can set aside their beliefs, any biases, any thinking about the case that would be prejudicial to one side or another. Those are the people that are left. They've stated that under oath, that lawyers have struck people they think are not either telling the truth or reliable in what they've said about being neutral. And at that point, the, the jurors take their seats. And that's how the selection is, is, is happens. The judge oversees it all. And whether you believe it or not, or believe them or not, um, as an individual, as a lawyer, it's very uncomfortable. It can be a very uncomfortable process. Um, But that's who sits in the box.
1: It strikes me as impossible that people's feelings about Trump would not influence a case in which he is front and center, even if he is not named as a party, even if the indictment is not against him but against his organization. And there are two aspects of this jury selection that I I would, would, would ask your comment on. One is, how do we know, how would we possibly know if the juror is telling the truth? And as a related question, how would the juror know whether they are telling the truth? Yes, I can be fair and impartial. I can put everything aside. swear I'm terrific at that. And they may be terrible at that, at doing exactly that. I mean, how does this work as a practical matter, given who we are as human beings?
2: Look, there's no such thing as anyone. uh, I mean, people are old enough when they get into a jury selection process to have shaped who they are and be who they are. And so there isn't any way, shape or form. You can't get angels. You can't call them out of nuns out of the country. You can't get angels from the heavens to come and sit whose souls are blank built. People don't have blank souls. So that's really what you're asking. You have to trust the system. It's the best system, people defenders of it. And I'm one of them think it's the best system we have. Uh, and, and that's the way the system unfolds. So it isn't without skepticism, your skepticism, which seems quite intense to me. <laughs> um, but you can be skeptical of it. But think, think of it this way. In, all, in the cases that are going to trial from the January 6th insurrection in Washington, D.C., the juries have been selected, as we've discussed. And as far as I can tell, and they've rendered guilty verdicts against the Trump-affiliated defendants in every single case, but there hasn't been a single instance in which the lawyers have publicly suggested that the jury was in the tank for the government. And so that to me is a measure of the confidence people have. Generally speaking, even the lawyers lawyers on both sides and the parties on both sides are not attacking the jurors thinking that they're biased and they're in the bag for the government when they render guilty after guilty after guilty after guilty. So I think that should give you some confidence and perhaps allay your skepticism for a moment at least about the fairness of a jury uh, reaching a a, a verdict that both sides can accept, for better or worse, uh, depending which side you're on.
3: Let me ask this quick question. You are both defense attorneys. You are a former prosecutor, John Pucci. Could you sit on this jury, either of you or both of you?
2: I couldn't. I couldn't.
3: You couldn't make yourself impartial for these for this particular purpose?
2: I'd try, Monty. I'd try. <laughs> I'd, I swear I'd try my hardest. That's but very telling to me. I,
3: I tried to, to get so off of way. grand jury duty because I knew the district attorney and I went to the judge and I said I should tell you I know the district attorney. I don't know if I'm uh, good for this. They said, "Do you think you can be fair?" And I said, "Yes." And they're like, "All right, you're on." <laughs> So do you don't think if you were approached by this by these lawyers, you could put that aside and listen to just the case itself, and put everything aside? Look,
2: I, I would I would say I can do that if I were a lawyer if and who has listened to me on the Bill Newman show, <laughs> and I was a Trump lawyer who's listened to me. Or let me just put it more more clearly: if I was a lawyer representing Trump, and Bill Newman was a potential juror. No matter what he said to me, I would strike him from the jury.
1: Well, I've thought about this. I've thought about this. I already have the answer, which is, yes, I have said many, many critical things of Mr. Trump, but as a criminal defense lawyer, I believe fervently in the presumption of innocence. And Did
3: you hear I'm, him call him Mr. Trump for the first time
1: in the history of the show? I've, just, I, I've, I've rehearsed this answer. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Well,
2: if I'm, if I'm his lawyer... I would have things to say about that claim, <laughs> if that permitted on your radio show.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know the evidence. The evidence here is is uh, overwhelming against me. I got that, but still, th- it's, it raises the question for me. If I could think of ways to try to finesse all the public statements and to say I could be fair and impartial because I can put those aside, I can cabin those off, I can compartmentalize all that. Um, I just wonder about how these jurors in any or all of these cases um, can really be selected. And I think there's a difference, John, between people who are on trial for what they did personally at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and what the Trump organization, Donald Trump, did over years of trying to game the system. A final word for you on on this?
2: Well, final word is remember verdicts in criminal cases. It has to be a unanimous verdict. Beyond a reasonable doubt, by 12 citizens. And so that's a, that's a safety uh, valve as well, because if there's some bias or prejudice by somebody who can't set it aside, who through subterfuge hasn't told the truth in, in the jury system, in the jury questioning system, then that verdict will not be rendered because the other jurors will not simply vote with that person. They'll be more neutral and make it so that there's that at the end point of this, you've got to get 12 people beyond a reasonable doubt. And a stray dog who gets onto the jury, you know, in my experience, is not going to sway the 11 of the other 11 people to render a verdict they don't agree with. So there's that protection as well.
1: We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with John Pucci. This is his time with us. Our segment is is called Crime and Punishment. Thank you, John.
2: Have a great day.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
4: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Chicopee Police are dealing with an accident involving a car and tractor trailer early this morning. The incident was on Burnett Road. The car was wedged underneath the tractor trailer. Traffic was backed up in both directions in the area. According to Chicopee Police Department, the road is now open. Chicopee police have not said if there were any injuries. UMass Amherst is soliciting ideas to change their seal and brand mark. The Gazette reports the Office of University Relations is collecting feedback from students, faculty, staff, and alumni, which will be shared with the graphic design team. The current seal is nearly identical to the picture on the state flag, depicting a Native American standing against a shield and below an arm wielding a colonial-style sword. After Northampton Mayor Gina-Louise Shera's decision not to sign a host community agreement with the new marijuana dispensary in Florence, Ward 7 City Councilor Rachel Mayori says this is good news. That one was just not going to serve the community well, so I think she made the right call on that. Massachusetts law mandates that any cannabis business enter into a host community agreement before submitting applications to the state's Cannabis Control Commission for license approval. The city charter grants such administrative authority to the mayor. And today is the last day to apply to vote by mail in Massachusetts. Voters who haven't applied but still want to vote by mail can do so by applying in person to their town or city hall to fill out an application. Voters can also email, fax, or apply online at the Secretary's website.
3: For today, mostly cloudy. Chance for a few scattered showers, mainly this morning. Highs 64 to 68. Tonight, partly cloudy. Overnight lows 46 to 50. And the outlook for Wednesday, mostly sunny and mild. Highs in the upper 60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
4: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
5: Yo soy Johan Rashibeka con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Este martes, el Departamento de Ingresos de Massachusetts comenzará la distribución de casi 3 mil millones de dólares en reembolsos de impuestos de acuerdo con el capítulo 62-F, una ley de Massachusetts que requiere que los ingresos fiscales recaudados en exceso de un tope anual sean devueltos a los contribuyentes. Los reembolsos se distribuirán en proporción a la responsabilidad del impuesto sobre la renta de Massachusetts incurrido por los contribuyentes en el año fiscal anterior, el año fiscal 2021. En las próximas semanas, aproximadamente 3 millones de contribuyentes recibirán un reembolso equivalente al 14% de su responsabilidad del impuesto sobre la renta de Massachusetts de 2021. Los reembolsos se emitirán mediante depósito directo o se enviarán por correo como cheque. En otras informaciones, el expresidente Donald Trump acudirá nuevamente a la Corte Suprema, esta vez para tratar de evitar que sus declaraciones de impuestos sean entregadas a un comité del Congreso. En una apelación de emergencia presentada el lunes, Trump quiere que la Corte ordene al menos una suspensión temporal de que el Departamento del Tesoro entregue sus declaraciones al Comité de Medios y Arbitrios de la Cámara de Representantes controlado por los demócratas. Trump dijo que la entrega podría ocurrir tan pronto como el jueves sin la intervención de la Corte. Los tribunales inferiores dictaminaron que el comité tiene amplia autoridad para obtener declaraciones de impuestos y rechazaron las afirmaciones de Trump de que se estaba excediendo. Si Trump puede persuadir al tribunal más alto de la nación para que intervenga en este caso, podría retrasar la decisión final hasta el comienzo del próximo Congreso en enero. Si los republicanos recuperan el control de la Cámara en las elecciones de otoño, podrían abandonar la solicitud de registros. Yo soy Johan Rashivega, y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
4: This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: We have breaking news involving the Hampshire County Sheriff's race and Attorney General Maura Healy, who's also, of course, the Democratic nominee for governor. There is a letter that Maura Healy has written to the Daily Hampshire Gazette, not yet published, and I want to read it to you. I think it's important. I think it's a news story as well as a letter to the editor. Here it is from Massachusetts Attorney General and Democratic nominee for Governor Maura Healey to the editor. I'm writing to express my support for Sheriff Patrick Kalane and to urge Hampshire County residents to cast their vote for him on or before November 8th. I've served as Attorney General for the past eight years and have come to know Sheriff Kalane to be an experienced, compassionate, and thoughtful leader. Here's just one example Sheriff Kalane has been a dedicated member of the Special Commission to Study LGBTQI Inmate Health and Safety. In this role, he has worked hard to make sure that everyone who comes through our criminal justice system is treated with compassion. He's committed to supporting the individuals in his care, helping families grow strong, and making our communities safer. In this moment, when so much of our politics is focused on further dividing us, we need leaders like Sheriff Kalane who will put politics aside, collaborate and deliver results for people. That's what I aspire to do as your next governor, but I need strong partners like Sheriff Kalane, so I'm asking Hampshire County residents to make a plan to vote, either by mail, early in person or on election day for Sheriff Patrick Kalane. Signed Maura Healy Massachusetts Attorney General, and Democratic nominee for governor. We'll be right back.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it.
0: For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens.
2: 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP.
0: People like Pink Ladies. Macintosh and McCowans are popular. Red Delicious is the old standby. Gala, the new darling. Some people swear by Honeycrisp. And who doesn't love Granny Smith? Appling at River Valley Co-op, all the greatest hits, plus heirlooms like Carrie's Irish Pippin and Belle de Boscoop. With 50 varieties of apples, you never know. There's an heirloom called Sops of Wine? Really? Hooray, hooray, an apple a day. River Valley Co-op, wild about local apples.
3: What happens in high school stays in high school? Not quite. In fact, quite the opposite. What happens in high school has a deep and lasting effect. High school is a time of discovery, of how you'll be in the world. At the Hartsburg School in Hadley, that means discovering more than the right answers to test questions. Hartsburg students take their science studies into the woods, for instance, or the garden, or goat barn. They study history through the lens of architecture, or art, or music. There's time to be young and curious and unhurried. High school isn't a race or a contest. It's a journey towards self-determination. Hartsbrook High School students learn they can handle adversity and cultivate an unwavering sense that they can take action in the world. Plus, they sing together. Schedule a visit anytime. Visiting day for current 8th graders is this Wednesday, November 2nd, from 8 a.m. until about noon. Spend time with students and teachers and see what high school at Hartsbrook is really like. Josh is marching to honor his late father-in-law who loved walking and cared deeply about fighting for communities. The old folks at the Lathrop community are teaming up with the young folks at Hilltown Charter and forming a team together. Molly hosted an accordion-themed bingo night to support the food bank. Different is good. The March for the Food Bank 13 is almost here, but it's not too late to get involved in any weird and wacky way that suits you. There's still time to start a team in March. Support a team, come up with your own crazy event. Each dollar raise provides four healthy and nutritious meals for our neighbors in need. The Food Bank provided almost 12 million meals last year. If we can raise half a million dollars together, that'll mean two million meals for our neighbors who rely on emergency food next year. Join Monty's March for the Food Bank 13. 43 miles from Springfield to Greenfield Monday and Tuesday of Thanksgiving week November 21st and 22nd montiesmarch.com
0: This is Bill Newman WHMP
1: Welcome to NPR Northampton Poetry Radio with Northampton's erstwhile poet laureate, Rich Michelson. Those are the dulcet tones of Bill Newman. I I love that every time. Uh, So Bill
6: just gave you some breaking news. We're going to start with news that stays news because this is poetry, folks. And I have a great guest with me today, Nathan McLean, who is reading tonight, tonight. So you don't have time to forget. Uh, at 7 p.m. Weinstein Auditorium at Smith College. Nathan will be reading with uh, Matt Donovan. Where have I heard that name before? All right, yeah, that was yesterday. He was on our show. Uh, Another wonderful poet. Um, Nathan will be reading from his brand-new book, Previously Owned. Uh, it is with Four Way Books. It is an absolutely incredible book. I've been reading it uh, these last uh, week or two, and I love it. You will love it. Um, you will be able to hear Nathan read from that book tonight. Nathan, welcome.
7: Thank you very much, Rich. Uh, really, really glad to be here.
6: So uh, I want to jump right in here because uh, um, almost a nice segue that uh, Bill set up for us earlier, uh, talking about at the beginning of the show finding a jury for Trump, that is not uh, prejudiced in one way or another. Uh, And mm -hmm. you have a section which is really the centerpiece of this book in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, uh, the poems in that are called...
7: They said I was an alternate. Uh, There are 13 of them, and they really just detail my experience on being an an alternate juror in an attempted murder case in New York in 2018, um, which was just a really dynamic experience. I'd served on jury duty before, but never as an alternate, and this was just a unique experience where you just don't really have the same kind of uh, agency when it comes to – like. Delivering a verdict.
6: I mean, it's fascinating the way you did that because, in a sense, um, it's a black man at trial. You're watching the evidence, you're yep. hearing everything, but you can't do anything can't about do anything. it uh, one way or another. Uh, and, you know, that's like what we're all going through in mm-hmm. uh, these times, uh, these terrible times, watching all these uh, uh, black kids, black men, black mm-hmm. women being murdered. Uh, it's not much we can do about it, but we're trying, Uh, and then we've got uh,
1: the other side there. So read a little bit from that. Sure. Before you do, let me ask you a quick question. Um, You said you were an alternate. Did the judge tell you that before the trial started, or did you become an alternate because you were selected as an alternate? after all the evidence was in.
7: No, I was selected as an alternate before, I mean, even before the trial got started. So as they were selecting all of the jurors, they selected three alternate jurors just in case someone on the jury had to bow out for some reason. So
1: there were three of you who thought you were just there and the probabilities you've actually participating in the deliberations
7: were tiny. Right, and, and we were there for two weeks. This was a two-week trial. So we had to do all the, you know, you have to, you have to hear all the evidence. You have to hear, you know, all the testimony. Um, you are off, you know, you're out of work for those two weeks, and, and, and jury duty pays you what five dollars a day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, well, that's more than yeah. Hampshire pays you, isn't that's, it? Yeah, i yeah, forgot got to fair. imagine. <laughs> your,
6: uh, you are a professor of poetry yeah. and black studies at Hampshire College. <laughs>
7: we'll throw that. In. Yeah, they're they're, work, they're they're working on some cost of living stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It was a race. Right, okay. right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read one of these. Uh, this is uh, among the, the poems that uh, came out of just the first experience, you know, when they ask you the kind of questionnaire of like all the things that, they, that the lawyers want to ask you before uh, they decide whether they want to keep you or not. They said I was an alternate, but before that, what do you like to do with your free time? And one of us said long walks with her dog around the park. And another said kick it with the homies on the block. And I might have said cook or write or something dumb like that though the judge didn't judge. And another juror would only answer in private. And one said he liked to read a good book though what one considers good is arguable and sure the question seemed odd but it took our minds off the past a while which we all had to answer for or two one said take a warm bath one whispered are we ever going home
6: you're listening to Nathan McLean, reading from his just-published book, Previously Owned. Uh, Nathan will be reading tonight, November 1st, at 7 p.m. at the Weinstein Auditorium at Smith College. Uh, he'll be reading with Matt Donovan. And um, and if you can make it, you should make it. Be there tonight. Mm-hmm. So when I was reading this series of poems, Nathan, yeah. um, what came to my mind was did you use your time as an alternate and actually start writing there? When when did it occur to you that this was... You know, this this was prime material for a book.
7: This was probably uh, some months later. I actually didn't think that I would write about the experience as as strange as the experience was to me. I didn't think that I would actually write about it. It just uh, for me, I, th- I thought maybe it's too strange to try to like somehow work into uh, into poetry. Um, and then when I when I started attempting to write it some months later, um, I attempted to write just one long poem about the experience, but I found that that was just it ended up being just a bit too unwieldy for me to be able to do just in even with section breaks to do it in one fell swoop uh with all of the different kinds of pivots that the poems take uh it just didn't it didn't feel quite um uh, it, it didn't just it didn't feel quite right so I ended up sort of like breaking it up into individual poems, but I knew if I was going to do it, that I wanted to have at least 13 seeing. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are other poems that didn't make the collection, other alternate poems that I that I have. I, I probably wrote somewhere around 30 of them. Um, mm. Yeah,
6: it, it's, it's a great series. Uh, what did um, how did it how did it turn out?
7: Uh, actually, really? that's the thing that's probably most challenging for me is that uh, they the judge released us maybe two days into deliberation, and i've I've searched online. I never actually found out what the verdict was. Ah. Um, I've never been able to track it down, which has been like the thing that's been living with me over the course of writing these poems, as well as just having had the experience was just the fact that i, I and I had my misgivings and I had my um my doubts about things as well. So uh, the fact that I never found out, and maybe it's better for the poems <laughs> yeah, that better, I never uh, found uh, out. <laughs> you
6: know, worse for the life, but I think better for the poetry. Yeah. Because uh, that gives us the room to... Uh uh, to play within these poems Yeah uh, This um, So you um, You moved here To teach at Hampshire Yeah Yeah <laughs>
7: I moved here In uh, the fall I started teaching at Hampshire The fall of 2018
6: mm-hmm. And uh, You you came via Brooklyn But you're originally From Southern California Yeah The so desert Joshua the desert, tree <laughs> Yeah That's my favorite place <laughs> In the world actually um, I get there often Yeah It's beautiful Beautiful and it's
7: place And hardly anything Has changed there Yeah
6: <laughs> So um, I I want to make sure people get a chance. Um, if you could read us another poem, sure. a little different part of the book, yeah, um, about being moving to Western Mass in yeah, many ways,
7: which has been like a really interesting experience. Um, the book also wants to, among other things, think about the pastoral mode and think about the pastoral mode for me, particularly as a Black American and as a Black poet. So this is um, a poem entitled "Now That I Live in This Part of the Country." Now that I live in this part of the country, the fireflies are far more abundant. A word I'd thought I'd never use again. And someone says, how beautiful, which I could forgive. And someone says, they look, they flash the way hazard lights sometimes flash. And I might have said, no, don't they seem to pulse with the glow of old grievances. But then no one really asked me.
6: That's Nathan McLean reading from his new book, Previously Owned. Nathan will be reading at Weinstein Auditorium at Smith College tonight, November 1st. And, uh, uh, do you love it here?
7: I really do. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. It's uh, it's been beautiful, especially around this time of year. My, my, my wife especially loves sort of like walking a lot of the trails and uh, being here while the leaves are changing colors and while things are sort of falling to the earth. And she's an avid gardener, so this right. is prime like picking up the leaves and having a bunch of uh, a bunch of things to go into the the the, the beds that she's made.
1: And you have a one-year-old.
7: A one-year-old. Just turned one earlier in October.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'd be interested to know something about your process... ...of creating poetry. And I suppose that there are couple ends of the continuum one is you sit down every day at the same time and you look at a piece of paper and you make yourself do something I guess the other end of the continuum is (laughs) you just wait till you feel some inspiration you stop whatever you're doing and you write it down on your hand or whatever happens to be convenient right what's the process
7: for you so the process for me is maybe somewhere in between uh, where I tend to I I describe myself as sort of magpie-ish in nature so I tend to uh I I usually will have a journal with me of some sort of a lot of journals. And I tend to like, as I, as things come, uh, as I might overhear something in conversation, as I might sort of like sort of hear a line of poetry in my head, I just tend to have like this, uh, uh, just a series of kind of little notes that I've made for myself. Um, and so similar to a magpie, like, you know, picking up a piece of tinsel here, picking up a bit of string, picking up, you know, this little tussle of, of, you know, of debris. Um, I hardly ever know that I'm like building the nest until very late in the process. And um, I tend to, you know, I tend to think of poems very much as constructive and construction. Um, and it's amongst those sort of like little notes that I bit that I tend to pick up that that's where the building of poems and the expansion of poems usually works for me. So,
1: are you working on? Many poems at one time. Oh yeah,
7: yeah. Typically, I'm am working on several poems at <clears throat> at once. Um, not several necessarily several books at once, but definitely several poems at the same time. As I've got like my my hands in a lot of kind of different pots.
1: Let me just take one quick detour. Rich Michelson, you're a poet as well as a children's book author. Is mm-hmm. that is that how your poetry is created? Uh, no, <laughs> um, but that's the beauty of it.
6: Is we all do things different, uh, you know, differently. Uh, I am. Uh, I have to sit at my desk, and pull out a piece of paper. Even though I, you know, then this is weird. I pull out a piece of paper and a pen. Even though I don't use that anymore, I still need huh. the props around me. <laughs> um, and then, I, and then I, and then I, I type and. Uh, Work on one piece at a time. Mm. Uh, so it's uh, you know we all find our way. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, to ask you. You were a Cave Canem fellow. Yes. Uh, for those who don't know, I think Cave Canem uh, is a collective of black poets yes. who have done more, I think, to change the um, well, to change the the world of poetry mm-hmm. than any other group. Tell me a little bit about that experience.
7: Yeah, Kaveh Khanum, I, I can I can easily say that this book uh, previously owned um, would not exist without Kaveh Khanum, I mean, and I, I would say the same about my first collection, Scale. Um, there was something about being in a group and a collective of just black poets. Um, for a series of a week and a half which you know there's a retreat that happens uh, every year and usually there are about 10 or, or 10 to 12 uh, new inductees that come in uh, and uh, over the course of five years you're invited if you're a fellow to come and, and to to visit um, and to be a part of those residencies um, at least three times mm-hmm. before before you graduate um and the, Tav- Kaveh Kahnem also has like other auxiliary programs that happen as well workshops Classes, lectures, the things that are happening. Um, but there was something about the kind of permission that you get for writing while being in a group of individuals who already kind of like know your shorthand, you're not having to explain sort of things, you're not having to ask for permission to to write about particular kinds of experience. Um, and so that was really formative for me and I've worked with a number of, not only really great fellow, fellows uh, who are part of Cave Canem, but the faculty there who change also at the same rate that the, that the students change or that the participants change um, was also incredibly dynamic and really formative for my work.
6: Yeah, they were, it's, it's a great group of poets. We We've had many of them on the show here. Yeah, uh, my dear friend, author Michael Weaver was instrumental in that. Wonderful. And so as a few other poets. So um, we are going to remind people. Yeah. That they can hear you, Nathan McLean, read from your book, previously owned, uh, Four Way Books tonight uh, at 7 p.m. at Weinstein Auditorium. You'll be reading with Matt Donovan. Yeah. And don't miss it. This is going to be a great reading. Uh, I encourage everybody to, great, to, to make it. We are so blessed in this area to have so many wonderful poets. Yeah. Glad you have, are one of us now. <laughs> and uh, we will see you next time.
7: Thank you so much for having me, Rich.
6: <laughs> one more time.
1: When and where? <laughs>
6: <laughs> One more time, Weinstein Auditorium, 7 p.m. This evening, Smith College, Nathan McLean and Matt Donovan.
1: Yeah, these are two amazing poets. The last two days, thank you for bringing them to us, Rich, really. Thank you, Bill.
5: <laughs> fireflies shining bright when dark clouds come across the sky. I'll your fireflies. So you can see your way to me at midnight. You my firefly burn flames Incinerate a path for me And that is why I'm not afraid to go out to see my firefly burn baby burn, burn burn baby
0: Do you know what's happening this Friday at nine a.m.
3: Is this week Shop Friday Downtown Sounds?
0: They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%.
3: Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op, a music store with new and used instruments and lessons. Live online or live in person. First lessons free when you buy an instrument. Plus, repairs of musical instruments and equipment.
0: Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Does your partner threaten or isolate you? Do they control where you go, who you talk to, or what choices you make? Are you afraid of what they might do? you have the right to a healthy and safe relationship. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, physical, Safe Passage is here for you. It's all free and completely confidential. Call our helpline to explore your options and plan for safety. That's 413-586-5066, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit safepass.org Live
3: and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group station.